If you're a busy woman raising children and you want to learn to reverse engineer how you want to feel in all areas of your life, listen up. For the first time ever, I am teaching my energetic time management process. Not only am I teaching it live, but you're getting one-on-one access to me. Yes, you heard that correctly. You can reach out to me personally and get feedback on how this process is working in your life. So head on over to Heather Chauvin, C-H-A-U-V-I-N.com forward slash workshop. As soon as you register, you are going to get a pre-recorded training video that you can watch over and over and over again that also has an accompanied PDF, step-by-step. I'm literally showing you step-by-step. You're also going to be... um, given the details to reach out to me one-on-one and my team so we can support you as you're integrating this work in your busy schedule. And we're also going to be throwing in two live group Q&A calls. So come ask your questions. I'm going to show you how to integrate energetic time management, not just at home, but in your work as well. Ask all your questions, and I'm there to help you live in alignment with how you want to feel. Head on over to heatherchauvin.com forward slash workshop and join us live today in May. Hello, Chris. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Heather. I'm so happy to be here. After I pre- hit record and was crying my eyes out. Uh, well, no, little, little leakage happened in the <laughs> eyes um, because you are a big inspiration to me. So I said, the podcast is called Emotionally Uncomfortable. So let's just go to those conversations that nobody wants to have. I can't wait. Yeah, truly. So your new book, um, I'm Not a Morning Person. I was digging in and lots of... Um, just many, many lines. Like I've highlighted everything. Do you, as an author, do you love that when people are just like, you're just like, look at it's tethered. It's like (laughs) someone's like Bible or textbook. They just walk around with it like a security blanket. It's very precious to me. It's wonderful. What was it like for you going through the process of writing this book? Uh, Quite cathartic. And it was clearly the book that I needed and I'm glad other people need it too. But if I was the only reader, that would be fine. Mm -hmm. Um, I needed to write this book for myself first and foremost. I'm not a morning person is like kind of like a tongue in cheek title, but truly I didn't want to be. And I've been in the health and wellness industry and on my own wellness path as somebody who lives with stage four cancer, as you know, for 22 years now. And you know, at a certain point in my, on my journey and in my own personal practice. And then also as a coach and as a leader in wellness, so to speak, you kind of think you have it figured out. Or I thought like, oh, I've got, I've got it down. I kind of know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And the truth was, is that I had such a huge blinder on when it came to specifically emotions like grief, Mm -hmm. even being willing to grieve my own loss of living with stage four cancer and, you know, the the life that I thought I was going to be living. And by the way, I, I love my life, but there's still a loss that happens 
And it's still a very traumatic event, as you know so well. But I was avoiding those places. And it wasn't until a few years ago when I was coming on my 20-year anniversary of living with cancer. My dad was dying. My business was faltering. And we were in a global pandemic that I couldn't outrun the feelings any longer. Mm. And that's when this journey started. Did you notice during the process of your father dying, like you could feel it coming or was it the actual loss? Because I think culturally grief is when we physically lose a person and yet some people don't realize that they're actually grieving. So when did you notice that, like that cracking of like, oh shit, there's something here. That's a good question. You know, I had never heard of what's known as anticipatory grief. Mm Mm-hmm. I just thought I was crazy. I thought I couldn't keep it together. I thought I needed to do, I had to work harder to control everything. Um, And the day he was diagnosed was the day that the rupture happened. And he lived four and a half years. But the second that I heard, actually wasn't even when he was diagnosed, the second that I heard that there was a mass in his pancreas, I was in free fall. Mm. Not just a free fall of grief, of sorry, fear or anxiety. It was it was grief. Did you know that at the time? No, not at all. I did not. When did you like discover like, like what did a therapist or someone say like, this is grief? It started with therapy 100% and going back into therapy because I've been in therapy on and off since I was 16 years old. I'm 52. Right. So I've been in therapy a long time. And I think I also was at a place where I was like, oh, I'm good. I don't need that. I'm good. I've I've worked through all my shit. Um, Boy, was I wrong. This was was like the perfect storm for me to go deeper. And yes, that I needed a guide 100%. Um, And then when I decided that I was going to write about this, because anytime there's been a major pivot or change or rupture in my life, I've always turned to the creative process as a way to help me understand it. And so when I decided I was going to write about this, then you start to do research and you read and you educate yourself about the landscape of grief and loss and other the big emotions that come with it. And I was like, oh my gosh, literally there is a huge hole in my education. Mm-hmm. And what did you find from the research? I know you talk, you sprinkle it throughout the book as well. What was the most surprising thing to you besides the fact that there was a whole world of research. Yeah. I mean, I think there's many surprising things, but I, I, maybe this most surprising thing, which is so obvious, you're going to be like, that's what it was for you. (laughs) Uh, was at the end of my experience of, you know, putting this book together and going through this process with my family and healing deeper wounds and really putting attention on past trauma in my life is that, you know, when the, my therapist said this, when the grief train pulls into the station, it brings all the cars. And it's not just what you're going through in that moment, but it's past grief or past trauma. And I guess I understood that in some way, or I paid lip service to the understanding of that. Mm -hmm. But this was such a big gale force that it became so clear to me that, yeah, that is true. And it's all coming up for healing. And it's like physics. If it doesn't come out one way, it's going to come out another way. And I know what that the destructive ways look like in my own life. 
And so it was about actively choosing a healthier path. Interesting. There was a few things you wrote. Can I read one of them to you? Of course. Um, Oh, and my sticker's on top of it. Okay. Where else in my life have I been avoiding grief? Did that avoidance have anything to do with the strange existential angst that had been creeping up on me over the last few years, where I sensed that I was not, in fact, living as fully as I could be? The reason why I brought this up is because, like you said at the beginning, you're a part of the wellness community. And when I got into personal development, I I wouldn't call it toxic positivity, but it Mm -hmm. was like how to be happy. And grief was never talked about. So what is your perspective now on that? I think it's impossible to be happy if we don't tend to the parts of our hearts that are aching. Mm -hmm. And anything that doesn't involve that kind of commitment to healing and and caring and tending and and I want to talk about the difference between healing and curing in a minute, but anything that just sort of glosses over it and slaps an affirmation on top of it or a manifestation um, to, to on the side is truly a waste of your time. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing about healing and curing is, is that in the wellness space, it's very easy to, kind of get into this all or nothing mentality, especially when it comes to illness. And it's not just the wellness space, it's our culture. So if we think about some of the language that we use around, for example, cancer, somebody lost their battle, somebody is a survivor, a victor. So you have this this winner-loser dichotomy that you've set up and what happens when somebody like me, for example, lives in the magnificent gray? Mm-hmm. Two things can happen. One is no matter how many times I say I live with cancer, somebody will say, congratulations, you're in remission. Right? Because it's this like cognitive dissonance that I can't understand that. Right? Or another place that can be very toxic, and we see this in the wellness community, is you didn't try hard enough. So it's blaming the victim. Yeah. So this idea, which I talk about in the book about healing versus curing is curing can happen, right? It's not going to happen for everybody. And it doesn't mean that we've failed in any way, shape or form. Healing can happen for each and every one of us all throughout our journey up into the moment of our death and beyond. And so at some point in my own journey as a patient, first and foremost, I decided that being cured wasn't my goal to be on this healing path is, and it doesn't have a finish line. doesn't have an end point. It's a practice. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, I had to apply that to my dad too, because I was so hell bent on helping him survive. I wanted to will it away. Like, okay, it's one thing for me to accept this, but I'm not fucking accepting this with you. Yeah. Like this will be gone. I, I will make it happen. And we can't always make something like that happen. And so I had to go back to that place of healing is always possible. And that was the path that we walked for four and a half years with him until he passed. It was the healing path and it was really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Emotionally speaking, because I 
understand what you were saying. And maybe someone listening is like, I don't get the difference between healing versus cure. When most people that are listening to us right now are proactive thinkers, right? Like they're, they don't realize that sometimes it is coming from a sense of control, like control Mm -hmm. energy. And rather than like, curiosity, like let's lean into it and see what happens. So could you feel that within yourself emotionally when you were like, I need to get into this healing energy versus cure control? What is like, can you describe that to someone that's like, this is what it feels like. Although I know everyone's journey is different. Yeah. I can, to your point, I can describe what it was like for me. So I remember the turning point, which was my 10 year anniversary of living with cancer and I was going in for my scan. I roll, I roll. (laughs) (laughs) 10 years. And, you know, the first doctor I spoke to suggested a triple organ transplant. The next one gave me 10 years to live. The third one said even crazier things, right? So I had to really become my own advocate, build an incredible team, hire, fire, be in charge, understand these people work for me and um, really take back my power. So that's what I did with traditional medicine. And then to, you know, you understand this so well is like at some point, once we've got the team in place, then there's a whole other world out there. And more often than not, as a patient, your, your care team is, is really, they should be astute at your particular situation, but you can't expect them to also be a dietitian. It's like being pissed that your podiatrist isn't an eye doctor and you aren't getting a twofer you're setting yourself up for failure, right? And so so then we look beyond and we say, well, I'm a whole ecosystem. How can I support the rest of the system? And that to me is the beautiful bridge between Western and you know integrative medicine. But so cut, go back in, going back in time to my 10 years, I was hell-bent on curing myself because I was very bought into the black and white you're a winner, you're a loser. I didn't even think I could tell my story unless I was in remission and I had, you know, the epic hero's journey tale to share. Like who would want to hear about me? I'm a failure. It's literally what I said to myself. Um, and a lot of people wanted to hear, but even in the first 10 years of my journey, I well past being on Oprah and all the things I still thought I was a failure. I never would share that with anybody. But I, and then I started to help other people and other people started to quote unquote cure themselves. I was never jealous. I've always been very grateful and thankful and like, oh my gosh, this is such powerful lifestyle medicine that I didn't make up. I just sharing what I learned, mm-hmm. but it would, I would continually come back to, I'm not good enough. I'm helping other people, but I am a total failure. Mm-hmm. And so at the 10 year mark, I go in, my family's there, my oncologist is there. You know, obviously he's there. He's, I finally found the person who I love and has been my oncologist for, you know, well over 20 years now. Everybody's happy because my disease is still stable. Everybody's doing a celebratory dance. Oh my gosh, you've made it past the 10 year mark. You're, you're incredible. You're a miracle. And I, was the only person in the room who was absolutely devastated. And on the drive home, I said, I quit. I'm done with this. And of course, my husband was like, you're done with what? Like taking care of yourself? He got really scared. I'm like, I'm done with putting my life off. Mm 
Mm-hmm. It's like as if I can't live until this thing is totally behind me. And that's not true. I'm going to waste my whole life. What if I live well into my 90s and I just wasted my whole fucking life? And that is when I understood the difference between healing and curing. Ooh, I love that. Um, I, I feel like I'm just going to cry all day. I, all, I'm like, I think for me, though, the feelings are the, um, I don't know, I've been calling it like the messy middle. I don't know if anyone else calls it that, but like perfection cannot exist there. And you're just like in it. And it's the duality of... Like, I just, I look around the world right now and you're in that everything is temporary, probably since my kids are getting older and I have less control over them as well. Like they're going out into the world being adults. And I'm like, oh, that was an illusion too, that I can (laughs) create and manipulate these humans into becoming and making sure that they never experience anything traumatic. Um, So when I have those moments of like, wow, the weather is, the sun is shining today. This is temporary. I'm going to enjoy it. Mm. Um, There's that, like I can sit with the joy and the grief. Can you talk about that? I would love to talk about that. I think that's such a brilliant observation. It shows how much you tune in to what's happening and and how heightened your awareness is and i think that ultimately that's where all healing starts is from that place of awareness um we can't have great loves in our life and i imagine that your children are like your great love we can't have those great loves it's such a blessing to have great loves in our life without also having great losses and deep grief. And the more we love, the more we're going to grieve. And it's, they're two sides of the same coin. But because we, as I've been saying, we are domesticated in a grief phobic, messy, emotions averse society, Mm-hmm. So few of us come to the table with tools to deal with losses of the magnitude of our love, right? And so what we do instead is a whole bunch of other things that create problems in our lives, right? But when we go back to, there are two sides of the coin. I can't have one without the other. It's like saying, well, I want the rainbow, but hold the rain. Mm -hmm. I want great love in my life. That means I have to open my heart up. And when I open my heart up, it's going to break. And both are true and both will happen. And to your point, can you hold space for them? That's the, to me, that is the human journey. Can you hold space for the fullness of your humanity? Because we can't amputate any of our emotions and expect to be whole. Heather, I have tried, girl. It don't work. I know. I was reading that and I was like, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. It don't work. And then what happens is, is like, I'm unhappy. I'm not satisfied. I'm resentful. I have all this stuff. I've got all of this, all of these barnacles in the way of my energetic flow. Well, why? That's why. A 
quick word about today's sponsor, AG1. A few days ago, my husband asked me if we had any more AG1 left in the house because he gifted some to a handful of his buddies at jujitsu and they wanted more. Proof that once you try it, you will feel the difference. At AG1, they relentlessly test to establish the benchmark for purity and potency, ensuring your health is in good hands. Simplifying your health routine shouldn't be a hassle, and AG1 achieves that by streamlining the process. Say goodbye to the jumble of pills and capsules. Just one scoop of AG1 mixed in water every day is all you need. For busy individuals like myself, time is precious, especially while juggling the responsibilities of raising a family. And that's why I embrace anything that helps me cut through decision fatigue. AG1 has become my go-to solution with its comprehensive support for brain, gut, and immune health in every scoop. It's the simplest habit I've ever integrated into my daily routine. Trust AG1 for consistent daily support. Take control of your well-being with AG1. Experience it now and enjoy a complimentary one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 along with five free travel packs with your initial purchase at drinkag1.com forward slash E-U. That's drink. A-G, the number one, dot com forward slash E-U. You just said something that like was a little brain explosion emoji going off for me because I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, Guilt. Mm -hmm. So women talk a lot about guilt. I feel guilty. I feel guilty. I feel guilty. Um, And I have like dug into it a little bit. And I was like, well, it's kind of the opposite of love. Like you feel so guilty because there's so much love there. And I'm like, is guilt like a mask for grief? Mm, That's a really beautiful question. That's a good one. I've never thought about that. But I, what I have thought about is, I love how curious you are. You said the word curiosity. Anytime anybody says that word in an interview, I light up because I'm like, oh, these are my people. Um, I know nothing. I'm curious about everything. But like I said, I feel awareness is the beginning of it all. And curiosity is, it's like our vehicle for all transformation. Without it, we can't get anywhere. Mm -hmm. And so when I was very resistant, obviously I'm not a morning person. Hell no, I'm not going near that emotion. You can't touch me. I'll do anything to avoid you. Um, I'll work harder. I'll hustle stronger. I'll control control the shit out of my life. And if that doesn't work out, I'll just pour down a bottle of wine. Yeah, right. And so you know, we all know what we do. Um, but going back to this idea about curiosity and guilt, and you know, is is this a part of grief or covering it? I think that when we get curious about our emotions, it's so much easier for us to want to learn more about them, approach them, be less resistant, be more interested in what they might have to offer us because our knee-jerk reaction is to throw up the walls because it's painful, mm-hmm. right? And there's nothing wrong with that. That's that's us surviving. And we as human beings are hardwired to survive. So good, you're, you're going 
with the grain of how you're wired. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to go against the grain of how you're wired if you want to um, have conversations like these and live in the space that you and I are talking about living in, which I think is a very fruitful place. And so if we get curious about something like guilt, we can say, okay, can't amputate this. Doesn't mean I'm bad. Doesn't mean any of the things. It's just information. Every single emotion that I experience is information. That's all it is. And all of this information, it's designed to do what? To keep me safe. Okay. And I can just look at it in a very pragmatic, practical way without attachment and triggers and then say, okay, well, if I want to learn more about guilt, it's going to give me a roadmap to understanding how to do what? Care for it. Mm-hmm. And thus caring for myself. Um, so I think that that's a really good place for each and every one of us to play with, which is if my emotions are information, can I get curious about them so that I can learn about them and I can know how to take care of them, which in turn is taking care of me. Yeah. And so that you can also get to the better feeling. Yes. A hundred percent. We got to. If you don't understand grief or fear or the ones you don't want to feel, you will not be able to understand the ones you do want to feel. That is so well said. And, and you know, going back to this idea of awareness, in a lot of my interviews, people want like a 10-step path. And I'm like, nope, <laughs> not giving it to you. I don't, I don't have it. Three simple <laughs> strategies where we can get started today. <laughs> yes. yes, ma'am. But... That awareness is the place that I always like to come back to. And sometimes for some of us, we're so far away from our emotions for whatever reason that the first step is calling them out, just naming what it is that I'm feeling. You know, you might be so much farther down the field if you can even say, Oh, I'm feeling guilt where the vast majority of people actually just to feel a disturbance in the force and can't even articulate what it is. Yeah. Right. And so no shame, no, no problem if that's you, but then your first step is to say, okay, I'm going to start to, to play with naming what I'm actually feeling. Cause I can't take care of something I can't identify. Mm. That's good. Okay, two more things I want to ask you before our time wraps up. Okay, my dear. The one is someone's listening to this and they are like, I know I'm grieving. I know this. Or they're like, holy shit, I didn't realize this was grief. But maybe they have had a a rupture in their life and a physical loss. And they're like, I think this is grief. And I'm going to say that they're stuck in grief. And they're like, will this ever get lighter? Will I ever experience joy again? What do you say to that person that's like very familiar with grief Mm -hmm. and it's kind of stuck in it? First and foremost, I want to start by saying, if you're listening and that's you, I'm just sending you all my love and wrapping my arms around you because it is such a painful place to be. And so many of us will find ourselves there at one point in time or another. And there's nothing wrong with you if that's what you're experiencing. Mm -hmm. I think, again, there's this misconception that, you know, you can get over something. There isn't over, there's through. And for me, I talk about this in the book, which is this one idea of Carl Jung's, which is that we orbit around 
certain themes our entire lives. And with each passing orbit, we find a new layer of meaning or growth. And that to me is the mechanism of our healing. And so if you find yourself in that orbit, it's okay. To find that meaning and to find that healing requires some tools and will require some support. These are very difficult places to traverse on our own. And so we can't do this alone. So I, it's honestly, it's the reason why I wrote the book. There are many lessons and many tips and resources and tools that can help to start to thaw the places that you feel so stuck in. When we find ourselves stuck in those places, I think that's when we also are called to double down on prioritizing and even fighting for our joy. Because it's very hard to stay emotionally and energetically committed to healing when our batteries are on empty. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that, like, oh, wow, I'm going to go on a trip around the world and, you know, all these. It could be like the little tiny things over the course of a day that bring a little light into your life. For me, during the hardest times, it was my bird feeders. Literally. <laughs> but they started to bring me joy. And a little bit of joy was a vitamin boost for me in the darkest moments. And so I hope that there's something in there that could help somebody who might find their themselves there in that place. I was going to ask you this when you just said bird feeders, if you ever got one of those ones with the app. What? What do you speak of, Heather? There's a bird feeder with a little camera on it and you can be on your phone and you get a notification when there's a bird or a squirrel eating from your bird feeder. You have transformed my joy in such a massive you way. You could be like in bed in fetal position, <laughs> not able to get out and get a notification on your phone. And you're like, my bird showing up. <laughs> I am so excited and I want to thank you so much for that. <laughs> I saw it on uh, Instagram. Oh, this is where my mother learns about the latest face cream that she tells me I need. She's like, look, they say that if you put this under your eyes, all the bags will go away. I'm like, mom, they say a lot of things. And she's 15. <laughs> I, I always love the creams that they apply. I know. And instantly, 10 seconds later, gone. Okay. Gone. And the model is 15. But this Instagram ad is worth every second I'm of gonna scrolling. I'm going to find it. I'm going to send you the actual link to okay. the specific feeder that I'm talking about. Okay. Last thing I want to say to you, and I may cry when I say this. But one thing I didn't know about you, not that I've like know everything about you because I really don't know everything about you. But while I was reading this book, I didn't know that your father wasn't your biological father. And based on the conversation we just had and you saying like, you know, something about like not being cured and therefore like I failed, I need you to know what that gave me just by sharing your story. 
So my, and everyone who's listening knows this or should, well, maybe they don't know this, but my oldest is not my husband's biological son. And he, my oldest never had a relationship with his father. So as a mother, I've always carried around this extra layer of like, that's going to be a little tick in his little trauma bucket, but that's part of his story. Mm-hmm. And my husband is like a beautiful man. And I know that my son will say the same things about my husband. And that just gave me, you know, it, it just goes back to this whole thing that I value and believe in, which is like, become the adults that you needed as a child. And just how you talked about him is just so incredibly beautiful. And that that healed a part of me. Oh, that's wonderful. I am so happy to hear that. You know, it's, it's like a great heart story, the story of my dad and me. And he was my chosen, is my chosen father. And it's so wonderful to know that you can have that. Um, And it was through our relationship that a very big wound, the wound of abandonment, got so much more tending and so much more healing. Is it gone? No, not at all. But it's in such a healthy place. And I think that that's the big rupture for me was, oh my gosh, even though at the time that he was diagnosed, I was like in my late forties, it was the little girl that came up and said, you're leaving me. Mm. Now I didn't consciously know that that's like literally what was happening inside of me, but that's what was happening. It was triggering this very old trauma. Yeah. But through our relationship and certainly throughout the course of our relationship, but then also through the course of the last four and a half years, there was an even deeper level of healing of that trauma. And now even beyond, as he's no longer here in physical form, continues to heal. And it's because every once in a while, we have this opportunity to be deeply loved. And I had that. And it sounds like your son has that too. And that to me is the whole reason why we're here. They're not, it's not always going to happen from the, our genetic line. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Like the human experience, it's beautiful and painful at the same time. And we can create connection. We can create connection. We can heal there is, there is sunlight in, I'm looking outside. It's like so sunny today and it's should be air quotes gray. Um, so thank you, Chris, for being you. Aww. Can you tell everyone where they can get your book, what you have going on, if they're wanting to be in your world, where you're hanging out these days? Yes, I'd love to. So I'm not a morning person is everywhere books are sold. And I'm at chriscar.com and I do lots of fun things there. So you can come over and visit me and and we'll get to know each other. Awesome. And anything coming up in 2024 or you just momentum? What's going on over there? You know, lots of stuff that we're we're noodling on right now, but I think when you launch a book, the the launch is much longer than you think it's yes. going to be. You know what I mean? It's like we do all this work to write it and then put it out in the world. And so I'm so 
inspired by this book that really the next year is I'm just continuing to to try to have deep and rich conversations with people like you so that it can touch more people. That's my number one focus. Love it. Thank you, Chris. And I'm excited for everyone to hear this. Thank you. I sometimes joke that I wish I taught people how to make green smoothies for a living, but I know I'm doing that because I'm trying to run away from what brings me joy. And what brings me joy is helping women and men, families in general, and children feel alive. And sometimes that journey to feeling alive is painful. It's emotionally uncomfortable, and it's not always easy. This is why I created the Aligned Life Quiz. So if you're tired of being tired, you want to stop just surviving, and you want to find out exactly where to focus and access realistic tools to confidently manage your energy, emotions, and impact, you can head on over to Heather Chauvin, C-H-A-U-V-I-N dot com forward slash life quiz. It takes you two minutes and it's going to show you. I call them internal leadership skills. Where do you need to focus your energy and attention for the quickest results? And also, which phase are you living in? So head on over to heatherchauvin.com forward slash life quiz to take the aligned life quiz right now. If you're ready to stop just surviving and you want to start thriving, but you don't know how to manage it all, go there. It will take you two minutes and it will change your life. I also, on the inside, show you which podcast episodes to listen to based on your quiz results. HeatherChauvin.com forward slash life, L-I-F-E, quiz. 